0: The views and comments expressed on the Space Show by its guests, callers, and listeners belong to them. The Space Show and its hosts serve only as a platform and are not responsible for others' comments or views. All topics discussed on the Space Show are primarily for educational purposes. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. we have made it to start by a three, two,
1: one. It's
0: the Space Show with Dr. David Livingston. Broadcasting for seven continents, consistently bringing you new quality news and interviews with the best and brightest minds in the new space economy. Here is the founder and host of the Space Show, the man who best articulates the vision of space commercial enterprise, Dr. David Livingston.
2: Good morning, listeners. Welcome to the Friday morning space show program. And, of course, it's Friday morning Pacific time, uh, so it might not be morning anymore for where you are. Welcome to the space show. I'm David Livingston, your host for our program this morning. Uh, before we start with uh, Dallas Benhoff, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, on behalf of the space show uh, and all of us, I want to congratulate Dr. Alan Stern, who's the Associate VP of Southwestern Industries Space Science Division, he has been awarded the James Kuzma, K-U-Z-M-A, Space Community Advocacy Award. So, uh, Alan, congratulations, well-deserved, and uh, uh, you've earned it with uh, all of the really great things that you've done, and we need to have you back on the space show in the near future. Uh, So, uh, people, if you follow Alan on social media, you can find out more about it, or you can probably Google it. Again, it's the James Kuzma, K-U-Z-M-A, Space Community Advocacy Award, went to Dr. Alan Stern, and uh, that's a pretty cool deal. Uh, So, today is a Friday show. It'll be a full-length, 90-minute program. Uh, For those of you who would like to call us, the toll-free number is 866 866 Six eight seven seven two two three. Email, of course, Doctor Space at thespaceshow.com. The toll-free line is currently turned off, as always, uh, and I will announce when I turn it on. But I do like to give the guest a few minutes to put forth what he or she wants to talk about today. Thus, you can ask a question or offer a comment that is relevant to today's discussion. So if you're calling the toll-free line and it either doesn't answer or you get a busy signal, be patient. And I will tell you when it is back on uh, in just a few minutes. A couple of other things to uh, tell you about the space show. If you want to receive our email newsletter, make sure I have your email address. That newsletter goes out at 6 a.m. West Coast time, Monday morning from Constant Contact, who, by the way, has changed – our email address, because of new rules with Google and Yahoo. Don't you like that? They get to set the rules for everything. So now you'll see a convoluted doctor space email address going through things you've never heard of at constant contact. And the only way around that ridiculous, absurd requirement of Google and Yahoo, although they, of course, justify it, is to go through an enormous labor-intensive process to verify your email to the satisfaction of Google and and uh, Yahoo. And uh, most people are saying, probably screw it, this is Internet radio, so I can say it. Go ahead and change the damn email address if you have to do it because we're not going to invest the time and effort to comply with this stuff. So you will see a weird email address, but rest assured, our email is, and always will be, drspace at thespaceshow.com. We do have a store on our website. Check on the picture of Pepper the Husky listening to The Space Show, and go check out what we have to offer. Remember, we're a 501c3 nonprofit with one giant leap foundation our parent if you donate to us and we hope that you will because we are listener supported radio and we do need your help uh, you can do so through paypal paypal has a button in the upper right corner of our homepage, page thespaceshow.com if you want to use zell you have to use a special email address which is david at one giant leap foundation as that email address goes directly to our Chase Bank account. For those of you who would like to donate by check, please make your check payable to one giant LEAP Foundation, and uh, that's, um, that will get it to the bank. And now, uh, just to frustrate everybody a little bit further, uh, there are new banking laws in place, and unless um, the name Space Show is approved and registered by Chase Bank. They don't accept checks to the space show. So I've been returning donation checks and asking you to redo the checks so that they go payable to One Giant Leap Foundation. This is a new development, and uh, it's not a battle I have been able to win with Chase Bank and probably other banks too. They did give me the paperwork to... Uh, put the space show on the Chase account, which I'm in the process of doing. So bear with me on that. But if you are donating by check, please make sure the check is made payable to One Giant Leap Foundation. And I have no idea how to deal with this kind of petty stuff other than to just roll over and comply. Um, Maybe many of you are finding things like this showing up. ...here and there for you as well, too. Uh, We also do have the uh, sponsorship program. And uh, you get the banner ad going across the web page... ...and you you get um, your promo message read on the air. And uh, I do want to shout out to Northrop Grumman... ...AIAA, Helix Space in Luxembourg... ...the National Space Society, Celestis, Astrox Corporation... ...Dr. Haim Benaroya... ...the Space Foundation and, of course, the John Jossie Space Settlement blog titled Space Settlement Progress. Uh, sponsorship is $500 per year if you are interested, and I hope you are. Please email me at drspace at thespaceshow.com. Uh, our guest is returning guest Dallas Benhoff. Um, and, uh, boy, if you've been listening to The Space Show before, Dallas probably goes back to the early 2000s with the space show when he was with Boeing. And we've covered probably every topic you can possibly imagine over the decades with Dallas. And he, he has been a source of amazing information for us. He now works with Offworld, Inc., Offworld is one word, and uh, their website address is, is uh, offworld.com. AI, if you want to learn more, and um, he is a a space architect, and um, he designs their lunar system, and they're going to the moon uh, in the not-too-distant future, but I'll let him tell you more about that as well, uh, as he's retired from Boeing. Uh, Dallas, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back on.
1: David, it's great to be back on and have something new to say for a change.
2: How How did you... Deal with all these petty, petty requirements and regulations that you must have encountered at Boeing over the years. Because I'm getting just a little taste of what others working for corporations are probably getting.
1: Well, well, I, I didn't deal with what you're dealing with, but they got. I mean, my gosh, what what a rigmarole you're, you're being put through! Um, I just had to re, um, um, follow what what the corporate code was. When I knew it, if I didn't know it, it got me in trouble. <laughs> so, you know. um, well, it, uh, I, I had a, I had a great had a great career at Rockwell and Boeing, and uh, uh, remember it fondly. But you know, I'm going to say this: I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm not associated with Boeing at the moment.
2: Well, I can understand why. <laughs> but maybe if you were, they'd be having some better fortune. What do
1: you? Think? Well. Uh, if they would have let me, yes. <laughs>
2: um, well, that's a topic for uh, another yes, program. That's, that's but not you were there after they merged with McDonnell Douglas, so you were you you were there for many, many years. Right? Yeah,
1: they bought Rockwell before they merged with, with mm-hmm. MacDac. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so what's happening uh, with going to the moon with off-world um, industries and what you're doing?
1: So so like you said, we are going to the moon um, and, and it's, it's a long journey, but let me give you a little background about Offworld Inc. first. Okay. Um, it was founded in 2016 to build autonomous mining robots for the solar system, starting with Earth. And, uh, since its founding, we have developed and, de- and demonstrated in operating mines two different autonomous robots one is an excavator that has been tested deep underground in South Africa uh, to um, remove the uh, attack the mine face Uh, it passed all of its key performance indicators in its tests it was in the mine for months uh, Passed all of the safety regulations to get into the mine Um, as did our team. Uh, We have a South African team uh, that uh, led that campaign. And uh, it demonstrated that it could excavate, i.e. chip away at and remove rock face at 200 kilograms an hour. It had a, a saw and a chisel were its two tools that it used. That's robot number one. Uh, and that was, that was demonstrated in 2022 and 3, roughly. Okay. Our second, our second robot is called Surveyor. And you can see pictures of these on the website, both, um, artist concepts and real pictures. Uh, and the Surveyor was demonstrated in an open pit mine in Chile uh, last year, again, for weeks at a time. And it is a – both of these are tracked vehicles, but the surveyor carries a payload, a sensing payload, that can find where in the rubble pile the best place to extract the the ore with the highest concentration and get it to the processing plant. It can also – it also has many other uses. It can be used for security, for sensing, for finding uh, people – buried under rubble in disaster zones for sensing pipelines for inspecting boreholes for drilling boreholes. It all depends on what payload one puts in its payload volume. So many uses. We have about a dozen companies that are interested in procuring this and putting it to work in their operations. Uh, we've also done some directed energy work uh, to help uh, reduce the energy required to a mine and be processed once the ore is out of the mine. And so that's the foundation for what we are going to the moon with. Uh, we are going to the moon in 2027 per our agreement with Luxembourg Space Agency that is funding partially funding the development of our lunar processing module, which is to receive icy lunar regolith, extract the water from it, purify the water, and then electrolyze the water to produce oxygen and hydrogen. That's the Luxembourg office's job, is to build and test that unit, and they are in the breadboard phase today. The U.S. headquarters role is to provide the mobility unit, the excavation capability, the sensing capability, the prospecting capability, to carry that processing module into a permanently shadowed region, fill it with icy lunar regolith so that it can be processed. Uh, The success criteria is to demonstrate that we can produce oxygen and hydrogen. There's no quantities required, but um, we will do this multiple times. And and we've been working toward this point in time for about two years. It it, uh, took a while to get the Luxembourg agreement in place. Uh, ESA is managing that contract for Luxembourg. They are the technical oversight and and advisory uh, staff for us. And we are then deriving the lunar rover excavator from our, our two units we have built already. The functionality and the software and the uh, avionics architecture will be very similar. They will just need to be modified material-wise to operate in the lunar environment. Fortunately for us... <clears throat> NASA put out a a request for information in October last year for an in-situ resource utilization ISRU demonstration mission to go to the moon, demonstrate end-to-end capability from transportation to production of oxygen from the regolith minerals. For us... All we need to do, and this is a you know the the magic happens statement. All we need to do is add a second processing unit to our already planned mission, and do both icy regolith and oxygen from regolith on the same on the same trip. Uh, They want NASA wants um, the processing, the oxygen production to be done from. Various locations around the landing site. And they suggested one considers one of the 13 areas identified for Artemis III as potential landing sites. These are all in the South Pole region. And so we are, we are in the process. We are of defining the system requirements and moving to a concept review this spring and into a design review by the end of the year so that we can fly by the end of 2027. That's the brief story of what we are doing today.
2: uh, Do you know who you're going to fly with? Is that contracted for, or you haven't done that
1: yet? we, We are looking at possibilities. The timeline to sign for transportation services is roughly three years before the launch date. So that's a typical timeline, and so by the end of this year, we will need to have signed a transportation contract.
2: That's a long lead time, isn't
1: it? It is, it is. But, but you know, they want payment milestones, and they want assurance that they will have a customer and that the ride will be paid for before, before they... Uh, do their work, which is to build a lander or plan the mission or whatever they need to do to do our job of getting us to the moon.
2: Um, Listeners, the the toll-free line is available if you would like to give us a call. It is 866-687-7223. And email is drspace, D-R-S-P-A-C-E. At the com. how does Offworld get its
1: funding? So far we've been funded by our customers, our mining customers on Earth, to develop equipment for the mining industry here on Earth. And um, we, are, we, we have a, uh, have had and have small business innovative research projects with NASA and the National Science Foundation. We had a um, STTR Space Tech Transfer Research Project with the Space Force for debris remediation, which I I led that study. One of the first jobs when I joined in July of '22. Um, We have won a NASA challenge, a NASA Centennial Challenge. Not one. We have we received one of the prizes on the. Uh, Break the Ice Lunar Challenge in the Phase One, and we received a first um, award under the Phase Two for Break the Ice Lunar Challenge. Before we voluntarily pulled out because it wasn't leading us in the direction we needed to go for either our lunar ac- activity or our Earth ac- mining activity.
2: Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Todd in San Diego sent an email to you. And he said your two rovers that you described earlier, if they're going to have a lunar application, what do you have to do to make them work
1: on the moon? Good question, and I hate that phrase, but it is a good question. Uh, Our current units are tracked vehicles. We will need to put wheels on them instead of tracks. Uh, We will need to make sure the avionics and the and the structural material are compatible with the lunar environment, which means we need to be able to operate in regions that may be as cold as 40 Kelvin or as warm as 150 Kelvin, um, not 105, 420 Kelvin, uh, 150 Celsius, and... Uh, so we'll either need to protect them, put them in a thermally controlled chamber or or select the right materials like uh, a a there's a particular stainless steel that's good at those temperatures or use composite materials for the for the structure so that it will survive in the lunar environment.
2: Um, there are um, a couple of emails here that are kind of similar, uh, but they are basically saying your mining equipment is probably dependent upon gravity. How do you compensate for that on the moon when the gravity is much less, or does gravity not matter?
1: Oh, gravity matters a lot. You know, that's why we have huge, massive road graders and massive um, backhoes and, and earth movers, because you got to overcome the resistance of the ground to move it, and so we will have to have ways of increasing the friction between the wheels and the surface. If we're going to push, uh, we um, will, will um, have on board a, a rotating drum excavator that would ro- rotate around uh, away from the rover from the bottom so that it's pushing up to excavate rather than pushing down so it won't lift us off the ground. I say ground. Uh, And we will also have a chisel and a shovel that will allow us to break loose any hard material, like um, high-density icy lunar regolith, and then a a shovel to pick it up and and put it in the processing units. So, yes, we have to compensate for the one sixth g environment we will be in.
2: Um, What... um What lunar infrastructure has to be there and in place before you go, or do you create the infrastructure, your own company does that, um, or do you not care about any uh, infrastructure already being there and you just set up shop with your rovers and you can operate?
1: No, we care. We care a lot. Um, One of the things we will need is communication, a communication path from from the Moon to the Earth. Uh, Some of the transportation providers plan on having orbiting relays in place that will see the South Pole, and so we would have periodic direct links from the permanently shadowed regions when we can't see the Earth. Uh, Some landers, transportation providers, provide a link through their rover, or their lander, rather, to get communications back to Earth limited quantities. Lockheed Martin has spun off a company called Crescent, that is a commercial communication provider between the Earth and the moon. So they are all planning to be there when we're there or before we're there so and and then there's the, the NASA Deep Space Network, and we would likely have the ability to communicate from our rover to the moon, to the earth directly if we're in line of sight so Lots of backup ways to communicate uh, will be necessary and so our, our interfaces will need to accommodate those. Um, and and the other thing that we will need is power, electricity to recharge our batteries, to uh generate either on board or from a uh solar power station on the rim of the crater and there are three companies that are doing tipping points for NASA on vertical solar array technology. And so one of those providers could be one of the things we need to take with us to the moon in order to have power. And we're looking at an onboard generation capability as well so that we wouldn't need the solar towers but we may have them anyway as a backup in case. We want redundancy because we want to operate for as long as the vehicle survives and its subsystems.
2: So are you relying on others to get the infrastructure in place before your arrival,
1: or how are you timing that? Um, The communications should be there before we go based on their plans. Um, and the power we will likely take along with us on the trip to the moon. They won't. They won't be sending it to the moon on their own at the moment. Their um, tipping point calls that calls for them to demonstrate it in a in a thermal vacuum chamber on the Earth. Um, so it's not necessarily lunar ready. And that's by the end of this year, I believe.
2: Carolyn in Seattle with an email and says, do you someday have plans for humans working with your company on the moon? And what are those plans like and what kind of timeline?
1: Um, so from, from this mission, our, we call it Off-World Prospector One, which is to demonstrate the ability to get the volatiles, the water, the oxygen, the hydrogen, out of the resources there. We plan to have a second demonstrator that will add liquefaction, i.e., let's make uh, liquid oxygen, liquid hydrogen out of what we get from the resources. The third step is a pilot plant that will make kilograms of material so that it could be potentially a reserve source for people, for NASA astronauts on the moon when they're going there are 30-day missions or longer. And then our fourth step is to have an industrial-scale operation with multiple robots, multiple species of robots that can produce tens of tons of oxygen and hydrogen a year to refuel the landers, i.e., the Blue Origin Blue Moon that uses LOX hydrogen as their fuel, propellants and uh, and we will we will have most likely people off world people on the moon as maintenance providers for things that can't be done with our service bot and that's probably in the thirty five and beyond time frame at the when we would have that kind of squad or lunar lunar LSRM Lunar swarm robotic mining capability on the moon. I <laughs> had to recognize my own abbreviation there for a minute. And and the
2: moon is your primary focus. You're not thinking about Mars at this point.
1: We're thinking about the solar system at this point. The moon, the earth is a starting point. The moon is a second place and then we'll go out beyond as as um, transportation becomes available.
2: <clears throat> Jerry is in Boston with a question for you, and listeners, you can use the phone line if you want. It is 866-687-7223. Jerry in Boston says, uh, before you went to Offworld, you had a, a cislunar company, and you were working to establish cislunar transportation between Earth and Moon on a regular basis. Are you still involved in that? Is Offworld involved with that? Is that still an important aspect of your game plan at
1: Offworld? It, it absolutely is. Um, when I joined Offworld, I sold my data to Offworld. Offworld had, at the time, a similar at the top level, at the 50,000 foot level, a similar plan for an oxygen, hydrogen based transportation architecture that drew from, that was produced from water, uh, from the moon or the earth. So, so that's still in the future. Um, when, when I, when I, when I did that, when I sized that system, you know, we were larger than anything that was planning to go to the moon until the Starship came around. And, you know, the Starship is good for large payloads and lots of people. Um, it may not be good for small payloads going to multiple locations. So it, it could be, bo- both of these concepts could be part of a hub and spoke system in space transportation. Um, Jerry
2: sent in a follow-up, and he says, Do you have competition? Can you tell us who it is, and is it U.S.-based or from another country?
1: Uh, there, there, there definitely is competition. Uh, lots of people are looking at various factors of ISRU activities from the production unit to rovers to um, manipulators, i.e. robotic arms, uh, to tools, uh, to the whole system. Uh, we believe at the moment, that we are leading that game from an from an end to end capability standpoint, um, especially when it comes to lunar icy lunar regolith, uh, to do the oxygen from the regolith minerals that NASA wants, we need a third party to to partner with, to work with, to carry their system to the moon, uh, but. In the long run, we want to monetize, use uh, every gram we excavate, whether that's metals, silicon, other elements, any volatiles, uh, or even just bulk regolith after we've sucked the water out of it, or um, slag after we've taken the, the minerals that are, are wanted out of that. And so, yeah, Blue Origin has the, the Blue Alchemist, which is to process regolith to get out silicon and oxygen. They, um, Lunar Resources is another oxygen uh, production company, focus, co- focus company. Um, there are activities in U.S. and Europe and elsewhere around the world for parts of this.
2: Um <clears throat> Sheila sent in a note, and uh, she's in New York City, and she says, What would you say the environmental or industry um, TLI or technical level of readiness, TLR, would be uh, for what you want to do? Do you need more innovation? Uh, Are you there and you just have to put it together? Uh, What's the technical readiness level? For what it what you want to accomplish on your time zone timeline, excuse me.
1: For for the bulk of what we we're proposing today, everything's around TRL four, i.e., they've been lab tested, they've been, um, um, but they have not been demonstrated in an operational environment to get to TRL six and seven, which is why we need to go to the moon to do that. So most everything that that we will take to the moon, will need to be TRL6, which is means it's been tested in a relevant environment as best we can, like in a thermal vac chamber, um, before we go and before we, we integrate it and put it on the, on the transportation provider system. So, um, But all of this stuff today is in hand, and it, um, a lot of it has been demonstrated in, with uh, Simulant here on Earth. best we can, Uh, it's time to implement and go. Uh, I have lots of listeners that have as their
2: primary focus uh, space settlement. right? And so they see everything sort of in in a view of is this space settlement enabling Uh, and if it's not, they're not so interested. So even Space solar power, for example, uh, mm-hmm. they're interested in because uh, obviously it could be used uh, on a space settlement, but it could also enable technical uh, equipment development and stuff here on Earth if you had uh, abundant, low-cost energy. Uh, are you in enhancing and enabling space settlement, and how?
1: Well foundationally we are we will be providing resources like consumables that will be needed by people on the moon if they're if they are staying there for long periods of time water oxygen um, and we will be enabling the construction of underground habitable volumes with our excavator and using those resources uh, to Produce the metals and the other minerals and the other elements that will be needed for others to construct the outfitting equipment the outfitting stuff inside the habitable volumes, so yes we are we are on the forefront of enabling settlement on the moon
2: um, are you hiring for people they, they always want to know um, are, are there internships are you hiring
1: uh, Anything in that world that you're doing yet? I, I know we have a list of opportunities on our website, and and that's about all I can say about that. You know, because of of hiring constraints, and you know, uh, you know, we used to be able to take a resume and look at it and pass it around at Boeing or and Rockwell, but that that changed to get rid of favoritism and and other issues. Uh, so look at the website. And if there's an opportunity available that fits what you want to do and that you love to do, then apply.
2: Um, uh, Ben, Tucson, Arizona. And uh, listeners, I'd love it if you called. And I know this is Friday morning, but uh, (laughs) calls are much better than email. 866-687-7223. Ben in uh, Tucson uh, says, um, what are your biggest uh and uh most thought provoking keeping you up at night challenges that you face and and how are you dealing with them there must be some challenges and potential roadblocks ahead what would you say they are
1: <laughs> oh my they, they are they are um enormous um uh, to me the biggest challenge in doing this by our timeline is the fact that the success rate for landers today is not good. None of the systems that we might fly on have flown. Um, you know, the, Vul- the Vulcan, uh, I don't know if it's in the path, but it flew once. The Starship has not successfully flown. The Clips landers, uh, there has not been a successful Clips, that's the Commercial Lunar Payload Services providers for NASA, have not successfully landed. Um, so transportation is probably the biggest concern for it being ready and successful before we go. Um, the second, the second is, is our own development schedule. I mean, this is 2024, January. We want to fly by the end of 27. That's four years, less than four years. And, and that's a very fast development and production cycle for traditional lunar and space missions. So schedule is a big concern. Um, But both NASA in their Lyft 1 request for information and our deal with Luxembourg targeted 2027 as the time to fly.
2: Um, I'll go ahead and ask you this question, but uh, I I guess I could predict your answer, but what the hell, I'm I'm going (laughs) to give it to you. So... uh, Mary um, is in Flagstaff, Arizona, and she said, "I'm, I'm curious if your company spends any time thinking about this as a potential challenge or problem down the road. When uh, Vulcan flew and Celestus had a mission to go to the moon for burial of uh, some remains of different people from around the world, there was quite an outcore outrage from the Navajo Reservation." that the moon was part of their sacred uh, and holy traditions and you couldn't bury things or people on the moon. And that spread, even though the mission failed, to other companies and others in different areas, not just the United States, protesting the use of space for making money, for commercial greed, uh, not just for burial purposes, as Celestis was trying to do, Do you see this as a potential challenge to what you want to do with commerce on the moon? Are you starting to address it, or has it not yet risen to a level where you give it any thought?
1: Oh, it's it's definitely a concern.
2: Um, Really, I I would have said that you aren't giving it any thought yet.
1: Well, we have not put any action toward resolving that concern and we have not been approached by anybody directly about that concern. But we can read the press. We can hear the news. Uh, we know about the the concerns. Um, you know, this is an ethical question. This is a, a um, um, I'm going to say community question. Um, this is a, a religious question for some. This is a Thou shalt not touch our pristine outer space environment for others. Um, this will obviously come up and have to be resolved somewhere somehow uh, and we will push forward until until and, and unless we are stopped
2: so i I take it you don't see it at this point as a significant challenge that would alter your business plans, but
1: you're you're looking out for it, it absolutely we're looking out for it and 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 yeah, it could be, it could be, I don't believe it will be, but it could be a showstopper, and we need to be aware of that and deal with it appropriately.
2: Uh Boy, I'd be pretty uh, lousy in a lot of our minds
1: if it turned out to be a showstopper. <laughs> you know, it's, it, uh, you know I, I don't want to be flippant about it, but the lunar environment is a sterile place that can't be in my mind um defiled, but yet it is a source of religious uh viewpoint that makes people concerned. You know uh and, and yet there there is doesn't seem to be anything anyone wants to do today that someone is not against it.
2: Well, you can say that again.
1: You know, so um, that, that's a, that's a, that could keep us talking for a year.
2: Um, you're getting lots of email questions. Let me try again for a plug for the uh, for the telephone <laughs> line. I, again, I know it's Friday. Many of you listen at work, but eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three will get you right into uh, talking directly with Dallas uh, Harry, Los Angeles, California. Uh Do you or does your company have any concerns about China competing with china interference by China or anything that is making you keep China on the horizon
1: yeah we need, we 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 need to be aware of what they're doing uh, you know the, there's there's two competing actions geopolitically, for lunar activity. One would be under the umbrella of the Artemis Accords. The other would be under the umbrella of the China-Russia International Lunar Research Station. Um, There's a, um, a website now. The Secure World Foundation just posted yesterday a note that said they have a a spreadsheet online that one can see all of the uh, signatories of both of those accords. Uh, we intend to operate following the Artemis Accords as it would apply to commercial businesses. You know, we're, we're, we can't be a signatory because we're a company. Right. And there are certain aspects of the Artemis Accords that deal with the sharing of data Uh, because it's government programs and so on, you know, if, if we gather data with our money and our instruments, it would be our data, and we wouldn't necessarily share it publicly. If, on the other hand, we have instruments that are paid for and rides paid for by government agencies and support for the mission by government agencies, then we would be subject to sharing that data at least with the government agencies, and they may own or we may have co-ownership rights to that data. So in in terms of of competing with China, we're we're about doing business. Um, if, If we and a Chinese organization is operating in the same general area, we will respect their rights. We will not intentionally interfere with their activity and we would expect the same from them.
2: Um, I'm I'm at your website and I'm looking at your uh, rovers that you've made. Yes. And uh, so when you actually go to the moon, you're going to be taking an enormous amount of mass with you, I assume. Have you estimated what that kind of mass is and what does that mean in terms of your potential launch vehicle options?
1: Yes, um, the two rovers that we've built uh, are in the 500 kilogram to 1,000 kilogram range. Our estimate today to send to the moon is uh, somewhat, somewhere between 1,000 on the low end. With everything we want to take with us, up to uh, 3,000 uh, kilograms, depending on the lander or the transportation provider that can get us to the moon. Um, so, uh, you know, this this is a whole different level from what um, even the Viper program with NASA, the, which is going to launch. Um, this year, which is to do some elim- preliminary prospecting for lunar icy regolith, because it's on the order of 500 kilograms. So we're up to twice, if not more, than that mass that NASA is sending, because we're doing more. How does that limit your launch vehicle options? Um, it does. It, it, it it's not so much launch vehicle, it's the whole transportation effort from Earth to the moon. And so our lander provider will have to deal with the launch provider, and we will have to deal with the lander provider. So um, there are options out there, and we are talking with multiple providers um, at the moment to make a down select around the end of this year.
2: You have a caller waiting to talk to you. Hi, okay. caller. Who are you? Where are you? Thank you very much for your call.
0: Hi, David. This is John in Fremont, California. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Hey, hey, Dallas. Um, Hi, John. This is a really, uh, really interesting show, and I'm I'm excited, um, and and hope that uh, you guys are successful. Um, Thank you. I I. Uh, I thought I heard you say so. Your your mission that's going to launch to the moon in in um, 2027 is that, that's going to do an end to end excavation of regolith and then converting that into oxygen and hydrogen. Is is, is that would that be the successful outcome?
1: That's correct.
0: Okay, and. You're using um, lunar regolith stimulant to test your process to, to verify that it works, obviously, before you go. And the, the question I have is we, we suspect, and, and, and there's a high degree of uh, confidence that there's water there. We just don't know how it's distributed in the regolith. Yep. And um, there's a lot of guesswork there. And I'm wondering, how forgiving is your design to, to um, uh, address the range of possibilities there?
1: Uh, we, are, we are designing for um, less than 5% water ice in the icy regolith. Uh, if it's less than that, you know, we, we, will, we will find it. Um, I'm not sure what our lower limit will be because we haven't tested the breadboard yet. Uh, But, um, you know, the other thing, you know, we have a drum drum excavator as our primary means of of getting it to our processing unit. But we are also taking a percussive chisel and a percussive shovel so that if we have a high, high percentage content Below the surface, such that it's like concrete, we will be able to chisel it out, break it loose, and then shovel it up with a uh, robotic arm and put it in our processor that way. So we think we're covering the range of possibilities with what we are designing to take with us. Wow, that is that is amazing. And um, that... our, uh, just just to to put a, a, a period on the end of that. For Luxembourg, who is funding the processing unit for the icy Regula, all we have to do, all we have to do, is demonstrate that we can produce oxygen and hydrogen from water from the icy Regula. There is no quantity required in the first mission. Yeah, yeah, I figured that. Yeah, yeah so, so, uh, but uh, we expect to not only produce it. But we plan to capture it as well to know how much we are capturing.
0: So the, 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 this is this is really amazing because you don't have to do any remote sensing ahead of time to verify that okay, oh something's oh yes, there. Oh, now we'll follow up.
1: Oh yes, so we you're do. doing it all. <laughs> yeah, uh, we do. We have to find the icy regolith before we can excavate it. So we are taking prospecting tools with us. Prospecting instruments with us so that we can find it before we begin excavating.
0: So do you have a, a, a spectrometer aboard that's doing that sensing or how, how do you
1: uh, how are you doing that? We, we will have um, a penetrometer we will have spectrometer we will have other instruments to help us find it. Wow. Okay
0: um and uh so uh you you uh mentioned taking power with you yes um are are you expected to last well okay so you you you're planning on having uh third third party suppliers provide power at the rim of the crater for you
1: or we, um we we expect do, to take that with us if we need it uh, and, and we will need power with us, uh, but um, third-party provider. We don't expect somebody to send power on a different mission to be there when we need it. We will take it with us.
0: Okay, and will your your power be up on the rim of the crater, or will it just be the spacecraft um, in in uh, partially shadowed regions? It, it could be both. Okay. And are you concerned? Well, I, I know you're concerned um, about the uh, maintenance of these things over time, and uh, you know the, the lunar regolith is is pretty nasty stuff. Um, so I, I, I assume your design is pretty
1: robust against uh, those those conditions. We, we we are designing for those conditions, and um, our our initial mission design. Operational lifetime is 120 hours, and that was for Luxembourg. And coincidentally, NASA in their uh, Lift One request for information said you only need to operate for a, for a sunlight period where we land. I, I don't want to say lunar day because, you know, it depends on on where one is, how long one will be in the sun or not. And so, um, and that's just for the regolith that's in sunlight to get oxygen from. So our minimum mission design life is 120 hours on the surface. <laughs> and we will operate until we can't.
0: And this is totally uh, powered by solar energy. You're not taking an RTG with you. No, we don't have an RTG. Okay. Um, and wh- how about, telerobotic uh, operation. Is is it possible to do that maybe from the
1: Earth, or is this going to be completely autonomous on the Moon? It will not be completely autonomous. Uh, It will be um, a mix of autonomy and scripted automation because there will be times when we will not be able to see the Earth directly or indirectly with our communication path and so we will either do scripted automation during those periods of time, or we will sit and wait. And hopefully we will sit and wait outside the permanently shadowed region until a communication link becomes available to us.
0: Okay. Well, um, great, great stuff. And, um, I'm real excited. So, uh, Best of luck to you. I hope you're successful. And I'll uh, let someone else call in, David. I appreciate uh, thank you, John. questions.
2: Uh, listeners, you grab the phone line. Excuse me, you two can grab the phone line. 1 866 687 7223 is our number. It is available. Um, around the time you're going to the moon, maybe a little bit later, it depends on how others do. Uh, there might be a couple of private space stations in orbit, in place of the ISS. Is there any consideration for you to have some sort of a remote, uh, either booster or control facility on a private space station
1: off Earth? We we don't we don't have that in our in our plan at the moment. Uh, it um. um it would It would tend to complicate the communication link uh, because it would rotate it would orbit about the earth faster than the Earth rotates, so it wouldn't be in in view for as long a period of time as a ground station would be. so um, no it's not in our plan.
2: Um, okay um, so. W- where would your ground stations uh, preferably be located? You, you'd have to have them. Uh, you'd have to have more than one, probably, right?
1: Probably, and, and uh, you know, uh, Crescent uh, uh, may may have multiple ground stations. There are there are other commercial ground stations available. Our primary control center will likely be at our home office in Pasadena.
2: Uh, yet you have offices in
1: Europe too, correct? We have Luxembourg offices, we have South African offices, we have um, an Australian office, and we have our home office in Pasadena, California.
2: Um, is it uh, possible for your terrestrial market, as, as you see it, uh, to be the main market for your operations and not the moon? Uh, could that turn out to be a reality?
1: Um, I, d- I don't see that as as um, the primary driver. Things on the moon, produced on the moon, excavated from the lunar surface, uh, are more valuable being used on the moon than they are bringing back to Earth, uh, because the value on the moon is equal to the va- to the cost of getting things. I should say price, the price of getting things to the moon from the earth and that's in the uh, tens of thousands of dollars a kilogram. If one wants to export things from the moon and bring them back to earth, the, the value on the moon is in the tens of dollars per kilogram because you have to cover the cost of transportation which is on the order of tens of thousands of dollars a kilogram to come back.
2: Um, <clears throat> Sheila sent you a, a note based on uh, an earlier part of the conversation. And listeners, there's still uh, plenty of time. If you would like to give us a call, it is So Sheila's actually in Atlanta. And she says, if we go back in time to earlier in the show when you were talking about cultural issues, uh, I would like to know what's in it for the non-space person or for the general population, not necessarily just of the United States, but maybe globally, for your company to do this and to develop this industry and business on the moon, or for others to do it, What's in it for residents of Earth to want to say this is okay to do on the moon?
1: That's a, that's a tough question. Um, what, what we get from, and, and we as the world, what we get from our space program and other advanced activities like this is technologies that benefit The earth as well as what we are doing at the outer edge of activity. Uh, For instance, we can improve the ability to process minerals with reduced waste, i.e. not as much water, not as much uh, tailings because we have to be efficient on the moon because there is a lack of those kinds of resources there. Uh, We can improve the way we uh, grow crops because we need to grow them in smaller volumes and with less uh, material and different lighting than we do on Earth. You know, so so there's a benefit perhaps back to back to Earth in the food production. Uh, we need to uh, mine or do these excavation processes with no people. So there's a benefit in bringing that back to earth, to our mines here, to get people out of the mines, to reduce loss of life in the mining process. Uh, we have we have five tenets that that are driving us: um, reduce waste, uh, reduce harm to people. Um, I should I do not have these memorized. But if I had them open, I would I would have all five, but. Everything we do in space that drives us to do things more efficiently can be imported back to Earth to help us better husband our resources here. And that can apply worldwide to every nation and every community.
2: So there are big-picture benefits that people should consider? Yes. Well hopefully they can think big picture so uh i guess we'll find out um when you say you want to go and see the solar system when when i asked you earlier about going right. to mars um is it to do the same kind of thing around the solar system that you're doing or are you thinking there'll be different opportunities and you can do something else as you uh, make your way around the solar system to different destinations,
1: primarily it's the same function, but in a different environment that we would be doing on Mars or on Mars moons or on asteroids. Um, you know the gravity will be different, the resources will be different, the things we can process will be different so uh, but but it's it's making use of local resources to enable us to sustain ourselves at those destinations or to use those resources to get us back and forth between destinations.
2: Uh, <clears throat> a note from Kennedy, uh, also New York City. And uh, Kennedy says, uh, are there any long-term plans out there, or maybe not so long-term, uh, in terms of your company being available to investors, either through maybe... ETFs or SPACs or something? Do you see this being an investment opportunity down the road?
1: Not something I can comment on.
2: We can't twist your arm, huh? No. Um. I, okay. I, I, Kennedy, I don't even have a follow-up to that. So um, I guess just watch the news and, and see what gets printed. And, and I'm sure you're not the only one asking a question like that.
1: Uh, 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 let me let me go back to the previous question about about what's in it for everybody okay um, and, and, and uh, I just pulled up our five tenants. Oh okay, so no people in the mine let's, let's get people out of harm's way and bring out ingots of product instead of ore with waste and tailings, low environmental footprint. Selective mining, let's only extract what we, what we want and not, not things we don't want. In-situ processing, that's the, the turning the ore into product inside the mine so we don't bring out the waste and make mountains of tailings. And then moving less waste. Let's only move what we want. And so those are the five tenets to our swarm robotic mining on the earth the moon and the solar system um and all those things can be brought back to earth to improve what we do here and they're also starting here
2: okay um so um carolyn is in kansas city and uh carolyn said uh uh, a little while ago you were uh talking about uh what you're planning to do uh but it's in remote places. Is there anything that you can do along these lines that would be commercial, profitable, and beneficial in an already developed economy like the United States?
1: We're, we're doing this in in mines today on Earth. That's where we demonstrated it. That's who our customers are. Um, you know, so so those are developed places. The, the deep underground mines in, in South Africa, open pit mines around the world, Af- Australia, uh, Chile, other other places. So uh, these were demonstrated in our customers' mines, and we will be applying them in the future in in a swarm robotic mining mode um, soon. Um.
2: So there there probably aren't that many places in the United States where this would be
1: applicable, I would imagine. Oh there's lots of open there pit are. mines in the US, yeah. Um there there are new new um places for for strategic metals in, uh, in in the north northwest. Uh there are open pit mines all over uh Utah and Arizona and maybe New Mexico. Uh so so yeah. And and they can Especially, our surveyor can be used in multiple applications, um, for uh, like um, I'm going to uh, uh, gas detection, uh, 3D mapping, conveyor, uh, our security security force. Um, uh, I'm, I'm looking for things that aren't mining related. Uh, uh, talk about disaster relief in terms of searching for people inside uh, or in, in, in collapsed buildings if we have the right payload on it. And the surveyor is built specifically to put pay, bespoke payloads on for a specific surface. So uh, these can be used around the world today.
2: Um, all uh, really fascinating. Um, in, in terms of... Um, Regulation permits, uh, bureaucracies, ITAR. Uh, are you um, are you hit with a lot of of, of uh, limitations and regulations? Does ITAR play a role in what you're doing so far?
1: Um, since we are the integrator, uh, the reverse of ITAR would play a role. You know what what people can what foreign countries can give us. Um, we are not exporting what we're doing. Uh, in terms of getting to the moon, we have to go through the process of getting a – actually, we would need a payload approval. The transportation provider would need a, a launch license, which the FAA and the, uh, the Commercial Space Office and others need to review and see, so we have to go through these processes uh, to do that, um, not they're not new, they're not unknown, uh, and and they will take time.
2: Uh, amazing. Uh, Taylor uh, is um, in St. Louis, and says Taylor says I have a big interest in space, but I'm actually a bookkeeper. Uh, I'm wondering um, what kind of expenses you incur with your rovers doing this in mines uh, that are on the liability side. I'm sure you have to carry some kind of insurance. Uh, I know for space you have to deal with third-party insurance protection. What kind of insurance requirements, liability risk, do you have doing this demonstration work on the earth?
1: I, I, I do not know the answer to that question. I do know that we had to pass a lot of safety reviews to get into the mines before we could go, both the machine and the people that we sent. Um, I am about to have conversations with a space insurance company about our mission. Uh, not so much third party liability as how do we, how do we cover ourselves in case there's a failure? That is not ours. It is not caused by us. And could we cover a failure that is that happens once we're on the moon? We're just starting those discussions. Um, the launch provider needs to pass the FAA review on the potential harm to people on the ground, and so you know they have to demonstrate that they won't hurt people if if there's a failure during the launch process. Uh, there is no U.S. regulatory body assigned to things that happen in space once you're in space or on the moon today. The hurdle is getting the launch license to get to the moon or to get to orbit.
2: Um, are you finding companies that are ready to talk to you about lunar activities or is that kind of twisting the arm still that they're maybe not so ready to engage in that yet?
1: We we are talking to many, many potential participants on our mission. Uh, At the moment, um, most of them I would not call customers, but we are talking to some customers that want to be participants on our mission. But mostly we're talking about with participants that will be a potential provider for things we need to do the mission. But we do have customers.
2: Um, Very uh, interesting that uh, you do that. Uh, Here's another one from a a space show listener, Carl, uh, Carl Wichita, Kansas. And he says uh, another favorite topic, uh, and I don't know how Further, it needs to be developed for your mission, but we hear it all the time on the space show, is the need for situational awareness, especially if docking or refueling in orbit, any of that is to take place. Uh, Are you thinking that there will have to be some situational awareness development, maybe regulations before your 2027 mission or at least around the same time? or is situational awareness not an issue that you're directly concerned with?
1: I think the kind of situational awareness he's referring to is not needed for our first mission. Uh, our mission will look somewhat similar to the uh, astrobotic mission that was launched last week in, or, or the week before that, that failed to get to the moon because of a of a failure in the in the lander itself, but it will look a lot like that. we will there will not be any refueling or docking or things like that in space. We will obviously need to know what 's around us and where we are going and what we are doing as we uh, operate on the moon.
2: Um, another uh, email, and uh, this is from. Link, L-I-N-K, is the person's name, Oklahoma City, and he says, well, since you mentioned situational awareness, the possibilities of orbital refueling, Dallas, I've been listening to you for more than a decade on the space show, and I know at one time you were one of the aficionados on fuel depots in space, and now it appears that Starlink will need to perfect fuel depots is the technology here now to do that uh, than when you used to talk about it a long, 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 long time ago
1: on the space show? Uh, the technology for this is the same place it's been for the last decade or more, and that is it has not been demonstrated in space. Starship may demonstrate internal tank-to-tank demonstration on their next mission. I've, I've read that um, Blue Origin needs it for, to refuel their uh, reusable lander at the lunar gateway. Um, and, and Starship needs it to get from Earth orbit to the moon and from the gateway down to the moon and back, at least how I would operate it. I don't know how SpaceX will operate it. So, but the situation is the same today as it has been. It has not been demonstrated in space.
2: Do you think we're ready now to demonstrate it in space?
1: We were ready to demonstrate it in two thousand and eight so in my opinion and, and I led a study to do such a thing for for Boeing, uh, under contract to Glenn Research Center uh, to define a cryogenic propellant storage and transfer demonstration mission. Uh, we did that we defined it we uh, uh, submitted it along with four other companies, and NASA took it in house and installed.
2: Do you know what shelf it's on in NASA? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's probably got a lot of dust on it by now, don't you think?
1: Yeah, but there but there are tipping point contracts, NASA tipping point awards, to do the very thing. Um, SpaceX has one. ETA space, ETA space, I believe has another, to demonstrate cryogenic transfer in space. This hasn't happened yet.
2: Um, are you optimistic that it will happen?
1: It has to happen, or we can't do what we want to do and what the Artemis program is going to do. It has to happen.
2: Well, um They need to to get off their butts and do it, right?
1: (laughs) They do. And and the the issue, it's not an issue, the situation is that it's no longer a NASA job. It is the commercial provider's job to implement their system. You know, the the human landing systems are not owned and operated by NASA. They are commercial ventures that NASA will be buying a ride on. So it's up to SpaceX and Blue Origin today, and their partners, to demonstrate it, to do it, to make it viable in order to get us to the Moon for for the Artemis program.
2: Well, um, I I hope they um, they they can make it work. I don't yeah. know what else to I, say.
1: I'm still a proponent. I still think we need it. I still think oxygen and hydrogen are the best propellants, but there are other propellants to use, and there are other propellants being used, and all of those have to be demonstrated.
2: Do you think the commercial companies can actually demonstrate it?
1: Oh, I have no doubt, because who implements NASA's programs for them? Commercial companies under contract to NASA. Yeah,
2: but... With NASA sort of directly out of the picture then?
1: They're indirectly – they are in the picture in terms of oversight, in terms of setting the mission goals and, and ensuring that their, their astronauts and their payloads will not be harmed.
2: But for now, this is, is, is not a, a concern or a challenge for your game plan?
1: It's not necessary for our current – for our first mission, No
2: uh might it be necessary then for second or third or future meetings. It'll, it'll
1: be necessary later yes
2: okay uh listeners we're coming up on uh, our 90 minute program uh. so if you do want to call and um i'll put out the 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 request again that number uh is 866 687 7223 so there is still time for you to reach us and to, uh, give us that call. But of course, you can continue to use email Dr. space at thespaceshow.com. And, um, I, I have a note that, uh, someone sent in. I, I won't tell you the name, uh, who, uh, made the comment and, uh, that, uh, uh no comment answer on the investment question actually gives the answer to everybody. So I I don't quite know what he means. And then he says, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so I, I guess he's reading your mind, Alice. I
1: don't know. I don't know.
2: So um, he's he's reading your mind. Um, with There's an article in in the press a couple of days ago that JPL is uh, being compelled by the economy to lay off uh, a faction of their workforce. I think maybe 10% or eight, something. 8%. Eight, 8%. Like, eight percent. Eight, eight percent. And hundreds. uh stuff is still costly, and fuel is still costly and uh, you know the the amount of debt we have is is continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. Do you see any uh, economic challenges that can get in the way of your timeline and uh, and business plan, or are you not concerned about anything on the general economic front?
1: Uh, oh, oh, no, we're affected by the economy like everybody else. Supply chain issues, uh, inflation, uh, workforce, um, availability, um, every, everything affects us just like it affects everybody else. The JPL issue is not an economy issue. It is a congressional and Senate issue and the inability to pass a budget. It's not the economy.
2: Um.
1: That's how, my strong opinion.
2: <laughs> well, how do they plan to meet their timelines with Artemis, uh, given, well, uh, given their JPL. behavior?
1: And <laughs> yeah, JPL's not involved in Artemis. But the no, but it's a bigger la- uh, picture. inability to pass a budget right. will affect Artemis. And, right. And they have already delayed Artemis two a year from when it was supposed to go. And three, also, for budgetary and other reasons.
2: Um you do have a, a caller that, that took me up on uh giving us a call. <laughs> uh but it's a repeat caller. It's John from Fremont. Hi John, welcome back. Hi John.
0: Hey, 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 how's how's it going? Um um I, I just uh, I, I wanted to to let people know and I've seen I've seen other folks uh on X uh mentioning this that uh there are plenty of open positions out there for folks at JPL and in fact offworld has a uh software robotics engineering position open uh in Pasadena so uh that's on their website yep so encourage people to who, who uh you know got hit by the layoff to look at that and to also uh check their X feed because there are a lot of people um in the Uh, space startup world uh, uh, with open positions. So, best of luck to everyone, and I I hope it's not too impactful. Sorry for calling at the last minute. I will uh, sign off. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, John.
2: Um, So, um, yeah, there are opportunities uh, out there, but uh, they face the same economy that you do, so is the economy one of your challenges that you Think about constantly when I asked you that question earlier in the show.
1: It definitely is,
2: and uh, I, I suspect it's uh, it's a challenge that you don't have much control over. That there's not a whole lot you can do to uh, to counter some
1: of the effects. Yeah. Is that like correct? like you like you with your bank and and your and your uh, constant contact, we have to roll with the punches.
2: Um. Do you find uh, in dealing with Luxembourg and in ISA and in the other countries that they are also going through economic stresses?
1: Oh yeah, the whole world is, and the, you know, the the whole world is suffering with with supply chains, but it seems to be stabilizing for some. Um, I think that I think this was a an article about Spirit in uh, in Wichita that uh, claimed their their supply chain was stabilizing, but uh, I forget. I don't want to say that's for sure, but i I did read that that's some supply chain issues are stabilizing.
2: Um, we have about five minutes left. Is there uh anything we have forgotten or omitted, or that the multitude of emailers have asked <laughs> you uh, that you want to bring up about off world or uh, your own yeah. activities?
1: I would, I would, I would like to offer a comment. Uh, I sent an email out on Monday on the lunar list, um, asking for input on a ground penetrating radar, because that's one thing we had not identified a supplier for, a potential provider. And within two days, I had um, 10 responses uh, half of which were, yes, we can, we do this and we can help, or we might want to be involved. Uh, some were congratulatory only, and some were saying, "I know people who I can reach out to." So, uh, when someone in the lunar community needs something that they don't know where to find it, the lunar list run by Clive Neal out of uh, uh, out of Purdue is a great way to get help. And even though I knew that, I had not experienced it until this week. And it was marvelous. It worked wonders.
2: And it's called the Lunar List?
1: The Lunar List.
2: Okay. And anyone can use it then? Uh, no, you got to be registered.
1: you got to get on board. And and uh, uh, Clive Neal is a conduit for that.
2: Okay. Okay. Uh... Uh, so, uh, listen. I'm to, surprised you're not on. I've not heard of it until just now.
1: It, it is amazing.
2: So, d- it, do you just like Google the lunar list, and you find out how to contact Clyde Neal, or
1: no? I I, I contacted Clive Neal because I have his email. <laughs> um,
2: so, can you <laughs> share it with me? If, is it to be shared with the space show, or can you just give it to me, uh, and I'll see if I can get on it?
1: I will send it to you. I don't want to. I don't want to. Wanna... Blast it out
2: um. okay so should i keep it closed or am i allowed to give it out or what's the i story? think
1: you should ask clive that question
2: okay her and it's clyde
1: C-L-I-V-E, Oh as in victor
2: so i failed my hearing test yesterday and now you know <laughs> why <laughs> uh okay uh and neil is n e i e l or n e a l n e a l yeah. I didn't fail spelling, but
1: uh, that, I'm, I'm that, sure you've met Clive at, at some of the conferences we both have been to. Uh,
2: well, Just I I don't know I I I don't remember. Maybe if I keep saying I don't remember, I'll never have to worry about going yeah, to court. Right. So. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um,
1: you know, um,
2: anyway. no, I'll I'll act on that and and uh, see if I can get on the. Uh, on the lunar list, and it's never come up on the space show before. So, yeah. uh, thank you for bringing that up, and and uh, I'd certainly like to be on that. So.
1: It, it, it's a wonderful way to keep informed as well.
2: Um, what else would you like to say about off world?
1: Uh, we're going to the moon, and we're and we're doing it uh, the right way, and we're doing it with potential many potential participants, and we're taking what we've learned on the Earth for robotic mining. To the moon as a basis for going.
2: Well, I hope you're more successful than the Celestis mission was to the moon, and the Israeli mission, and the Japanese mission. It's hard to land on the moon, Dallas.
1: Apparently, it is.
2: Although <laughs> India's done it, and we've done it, and
1: China, and Russia seems has to done, have it done it, it and and China's and Ru- done it, and, J- and and Japan has done it, and you know, but our our success rate is not good
2: um but but they know how to do it so um something is wrong with this picture
1: things happen
2: uh absolutely
1: you know absolutely so it's been it, 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 the next uh, opportunity to be successful is next wednesday
2: right and that's another commercial company
1: that's the the uh, intuitive machines first mission um, that gets launched on the 14th
2: well, we will we will see, and uh, hopefully we, they they can uh, break the uh, the bad trend.
1: Right, right.
2: And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you when you have some more news to report. And uh, you know how to reach
1: me. Love to do it, Dave. Always thanks.
2: great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you, and thanks to the audience for their questions.
2: Okay, thank you, and listeners, that's it for today. So please remember, there's no show Sunday and no show Tuesday. As I jaunt over to uh, Los Angeles in uh, changing some medical care from San Francisco to Los Angeles. And uh, and then we come back to a a full week of space show programming. Um, For oldies but goodies, and since Dallas is still on the line, he may object, and if he does, I will certainly abide by his objection. Number one for Tuesday night is going to be the show with Bob Bigelow. Ah. Uh, He was on the show one time only, back when he thought he was going to have inflatables and the the world was going to have the hotels and you name it. And Bob
1: was on for nearly three hours. He could not outlast the delay in commercial transportation.
2: No, he could not. Plus, he had some family issues that probably were de-incentivizing. But Dallas, as I said, has been on for decades. So I'm going to go find the very, very first time Dallas was on the space show, mm. the very, very first time, and that is going to be the Golden Oldie for Tuesday night., ah. and you can hear how the world has changed and uh, mm-hmm. i'm I'm looking to see if I can find when your first show was you probably um, don't remember, do you?
1: it was probably um, probably. Before the vision for space exploration
2: oh, I think it was when uh, we were working with that uh, gal at space Frontier Foundation to go bring trinkets back from the moon
1: uh, could have been
2: yeah. I, I mean i i let 's see denise norris denise norris so um, let 's see here you were on in uh, in uh, twenty let 's see you were on in two thousand and seven, but I think you were on uh, that was on building propellant depots. So you were on okay. you were on yeah. before that as well. Yeah.
1: Uh, let's see if you're on the last. Yeah. Denise Norris would have been in the and um, space um, lunar retriever mission would have been in the time frame after Boeing bought Rockwell. So that's probably around 1998.
2: Um. I don't know i i I think that she the space show was formed in two thousand and one, oh. so I think oh. Denise was on the space show mm.
1: um,
2: it looks to me like two thousand and seven might be your first show,
1: okay, yeah, although I Good thought thing.
2: you were on uh regarding denise but but maybe not
1: maybe not um but yeah, two thousand and seven that was after the constellation program, and Mike Griffin said we don't need a propellant depot we would use we might use it if it's there it has to be commercial
2: so um uh we were talking about building an orbit propellant depot to yep. enhance the vision for space exploration
1: okay yep
2: uh, and we're still talking about it
1: we still are <laughs> <laughs>
2: um i'll see if uh if there was an earlier one okay uh but um Let's see how long did the show last. I have to fix the show to it's be able. Probably to do ninety that. minutes still. Yeah. So, uh, but I have to fix this. This is a zero archive show, so I need to fix it first. But that'll be uh, uh, the first show that Dallas was on, and that'll be next Tuesday night.
1: Great. Thanks. Thanks, Dave.
2: All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank All you. All right. Bye. L- listeners, have a great weekend, and uh, everybody uh, do well and. Uh, Thanks to Dallas and all of you for participating. Goodbye from Dallas, David and the Space Show, and as we like to say, keep looking up. Once again, goodbye from the Space Show.